Get your Bibles out and go to John chapter 16. Anybody know what we're even talking about for the last few weeks? Come on, Holy Ghost. Is he important? Yes. How, how important is he? Real important, isn't he? You know, I don't know how many of y'all have ever listened to Jesse Duplantis, but he said when he went to heaven, um, he was up there and he, he saw God, the Father, and he saw Jesus, and he said, I asked the dumbest question. I said, well, I see Jesus and God, where's the Holy Ghost? And Jesus looked at him and said, on the earth? <laughs> and he is, he's here. Amen. Amen. And uh, you ever think that maybe God knew what he was doing? You ever think that maybe God's pretty smart? He said he's going to give us a helper. And you know, he doesn't leave you just because you and I do dumb stuff. So I'm going to make a statement to you right now. I want you to think about what I'm going to say. If you went out right now and robbed a bank, could you pray in tongues on the way to the bank while you're robbing it? Yeah. Yeah. And could you pray in the Holy Ghost on the way out of the bank with the money? You know, he doesn't leave you because you stupid. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm telling you something good. Hey, aren't you glad that because we do dumb stuff, he doesn't come and go. He lives in us because he's got something he wants us to do. And even though we're doing stuff he doesn't like, he doesn't get up and pack up and go anywhere. When you're in trouble, he helps you in trouble. He helps you out of trouble. So listen to me. Let's read it. And I don't, I'm not suggesting you go rob a bank and go, hey, I can still be saved and rob banks. You can, but you might be praying in tongues in jail. That was good. I didn't know if y'all, I had a man years ago that came to this church and he, he, he came in one Sunday. He, he was mad. And I said, what's wrong, brother? He said, this praying in tongues don't work. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I was on the turnpike and a police got behind me. He said, I started praying in tongues and praying in tongues and he still gave me a ticket. And I said, brother, it's working. You prayed the, you prayed the policeman to you. <laughs> Praying in the Holy Ghost is not going not to stop the, the wages of sin from hitting you. Thank you. So he got him a ticket. And I said, well, pray that the Lord will help you pay your ticket and quit. He, he didn't pay it. He didn't ever change his tag. He never got a new tag on his car and thought that he could pray and that would be okay. I got another story. Y'all want to hear it? I love telling the stories because sometimes y'all just need to hear stories. I was reading Reader's Digest one day and there was this guy that walked by a liquor store and he looked everywhere and he picked up a concrete block and he threw it, was going to throw it through the window and break in the liquor store. But the, the glass was plexiglass. And the block hit it and bounced back and hit him in the head and knocked him out. The next morning when he woke up, the cops found him laying outside the liquor store on the ground. Your sin will find you out. You just don't want to go. Okay, I see y'all excited. about. Okay, are y'all ready for John 16? Let's read this. John 16, let's start with verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, 
it is to your advantage that I'm going to go away. It's a good thing I'm leaving. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. And if I depart, I'm sending him to you. He's a person. And when he has come, he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He's going to do three things, talking to the world, not the church. Of sin, because they don't believe in me. We talked about that all last week. We talked about what Jesus did on the cross. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he's going to guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll even tell you things that are coming. He'll glorify me. He'll take what's mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. And therefore, I said he'll take what's mine and show it to you. All right, let's come back up there because today I want to talk about of righteousness because I'm going to my Father and you see me no more. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Romans 4.25. Now, right now in the world today, the world lives in condemnation. When you see a sinner, a person, when I call a sinner, I'm, I'm not calling them a sinner because I'm better than them. The, Jesus called them sinners. People that are not born again, they're under condemnation. We learned that last week. That's why they stay away from churches. They don't, they already feel under condemnation. They don't want to run into someplace and hear some more. They don't understand that's their answer. So, so there's a guilt that hangs on people in the world. That's the reason why they have a victim mentality. You don't get a victor mentality until you get born again. So God wants to get you out of this victim mentality. He wants to get you out of a condemnation mentality. He wants to get you out from under guilt and shame and you to become righteous conscious. Now let me ask you a question. Why did, how did Jesus get his prayers answered? Some people would say, well, he's the son of God. Well, you're right. When he walked the earth, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. At one time, there was only one righteous man on the earth, and it was Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Did you expect Jesus to get his prayers answered? How come? Because he's righteous. He's right with God. Anybody right with God ought to be able to go to the throne room and get their prayers answered. Amen. But you see, today the church in America is defeated because we're not righteous conscious. We're defeat conscious. We're sin conscious. And, and the, only, the only way you're ever coming out of it is the Holy Ghost to make righteousness real to you. Without the Holy Ghost... You're going to live and die and never step into your destiny, and you'll live and die and never conquer sin consciousness. And you'll feel guilty all your life, you'll feel ashamed all your life, and you'll always feel like a loser, like somebody's better than me, and, and, and yet we have people all the time, you know, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. Well, you, you might be if you're a sinner, but, but see, you're in Adam. In Adam, you're a victim. In Jesus, you're a victor. 
So God wants to get his church out of this victim mentality into a victorious mentality. And so the Holy Spirit was given to you to teach you what righteousness is and to make righteousness real to you. Now, so let's stop for a minute because you come to this church because you want to hear me preach the word of God and I come to preach. But you know what I'm preaching won't do you any good if you don't think and start thinking about what's being preached. You got to get your head into this outside of these four walls. You've got, you've got to start. So let, let's talk about some people that we all know. Kenneth Copeland when he got born again, was a 300-pound, fat, broke pilot. He's not a fat, broke pilot now, is he? What happened to him? Did God just have favor with him and God loves him more than he does you? No. He got a hold of Brother Hagin's tapes on righteousness. He started finding out who he was. And he got over fat, broke pilot mentality. And he started realizing, I'm the righteousness of God. There's no reason for me to be broke. So when, when Kenneth Copeland found Jesse, Jesse, Jesse couldn't put gas in his broke down van. He was broke. He was a musician, a Cajun, and he was broke. And he got a hold of righteousness. He ain't broke now. Well, what about Joyce Myers? Joyce Myers, by her own admission, says she wore hot pants, short shorts, and smoked cigarettes and blew smoke in people's face while she's teaching the Bible. Well, she ain't a hot pants smoking, cigarette smoking, you know, hick now, is she? What happened to her? She got a revelation of righteousness. Started finding out who she is. Today, you're going to get a revelation of righteousness. Your days of being broke and sick are over. We're going, we're going to take you someplace you've never been before. You're coming out of all the mess that the devil puts you in. But you got to get a hold of this. The Holy Ghost is coming to teach you righteousness. So what is it? All right, now let's look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And he was raised because of our justification. Now stop and think about this because Easter's coming and we're going to start talking about Jesus rising from the dead. Did you know the Bible talks about Jesus died for your sins and rose to make you righteous? It is more scriptural for you to have a tombstone around your neck than a cross. If God did not accept the sacrifice of Jesus... You'd be in your sins today, and he'd still be in hell. So why did he raise him from the dead? To prove that he accepted what he did and paid your debt. So the resurrection made you righteous. Though you were a sinner, the cross took care of your sins, but Jesus' resurrection took care of your righteousness. All right, now we're going to talk about what righteousness really is in a minute. And um, just, just talk about what redemption is. So y'all just hold on to your hats. So look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have access by faith into this grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 5. 4 or 5, just on the page to the left. But him... But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodliness, his faith is accounted 
for righteousness. Just as David described the blessedness of man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute sin. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If God didn't know you did anything wrong. He doesn't. You know it, but he don't. All right, all right, now, now we're going to study this. Now, now, now listen. We, ooh, 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 ooh. Look at verse 9. Let me see. I think that's where I want to go. Does this blessedness come on the circumcised only or on the uncircumcised? We say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? While, while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised. So in other words, while he was uncircumcised, God accounted him as righteous. Even though he hadn't kept the law, he hadn't done anything. Done anything. All right, now listen, 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 listen. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Take me a minute to get the engines going. We're just taxiing out to the runway. We'll take off in a minute and get airborne. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Hold your hat on. Blessed is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When? Thank you. I got one person. When? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he's made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, what's the difference in forgiveness and redemption? You know that most people don't know. Did you know that most preachers on TV interchange the word forgiveness and redemption? And they're wrong. They are not the same thing. We preach to Christians and say, when you came to Jesus, you got forgiven. Well, you did. But is that all that happened? Now listen to me and listen to me very carefully. Under the old covenant, you could be forgiven. But you could not be made a new creation. Could you? Do you remember when the man came to Jesus and they tore the roof off the house and they lowered the man down in front of Jesus and he said, your sins are forgiven you. He got forgiven, didn't he? Was he born again? No. He was not redeemed. They're not the same thing. We're calling Christians forgiven. And you are. What in the world is the difference in the two? Because we understand we're forgiven. But have we got a revelation of being redeemed? Of being righteous? All right, now listen to the definition. Forgiveness means to dismiss, pardon, deliverance, remission, and release. But redeemed means deliverance from torture and ransom 
in full. They're not the same thing. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Come on, y'all. It's just... I'm going, to, I'm going to preach like y'all are getting it. I ain't going to look at y'all's face right now because y'all don't look too good, y'all. We're talking about righteousness and you looking like I need to be preaching to you on righteousness. Colossians 1.12, give thanks to the Father who qualified us or made, or made us able to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered you from the power of darkness and conveyed or placed you into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. That's 1.3. I read that. Let me read Colossians 1.12. I think I read. I did read 12. Okay, I did. All right. Go. All right. Now you're confusing me. Go to 2 Samuel. No, no, you don't. 2 Samuel chapter 9. What is the difference? What is the Holy Spirit trying to get across to the church? I got to find 2 Samuel now. As I'm flipping through Exodus, it's not there. Is 2 Samuel after 1 Samuel? Then I shall find it. All right, now listen, because you need, we need to paint a picture of this. The church today must come into a revelation of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit wants you to get this. Let me, let me just read this. And I think, let me just read it to you and you'll get it. 2 Samuel 9.1. David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Now, who is Saul? Saul was his enemy, wasn't he? And gave him a lot of trouble. All right, now see, normally you don't help your enemy. You don't bless him. That I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, now, David and Jonathan, Jonathan saw that David would be the king. And so Jonathan cut covenant with David. Covenant, you cut a covenant, not with God, with Jesus. Jesus is in covenant with God. You're in covenant with Jesus. That God is honoring the covenant that he cut with Jesus, not with you. Let's think about that for a little while. Yeah, he loves us, but he's a just God, isn't he? All right, now let's, let's go. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when he had called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Micah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar near Bithlo. I said that because you don't know where Lodabar is. Lodibar is the city dump. Who is, who's Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth is a bum. He's a bum. He is the grandson of his enemy who is living next to a meth lab in Bethlehem. 
worthless. He's a worthless man, boy. David said, go get him. Is it starting to make sense? Is there not still someone in the house of Saul so I can show kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan who's lame at his feet. And the king said, where is he? He said, he's in Lodabar. And the king David sent and brought him out of the house of Micar, the son of Amiel, near Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated and said, Mephibosheth. And he answered and said, here's your servant. And David said, don't fear I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore, look at this, all of the land of Saul, your grandfather. How much? All of it. He was the king. That's, that's a lot of wealth. He said, your grandfather was a wealthy king, and I'm going to make sure that everything that belonged to your grandfather, who was my enemy, I'm going to give it to you. Amen. Now, our grandfather, Adam, messed it up, lost everything in the fall. When Jesus rose from the dead and sat down at the right hand of God, he turned to his father and said, is there anyone on the earth I can show the kindness of God for Jesus' sake? And he said, there's a guy named Daryl down there in, in Apopka, Florida. Call him up here. I'm going to show him the favor of God because I'm a good God and give him everything that belonged to Adam. Yo, that's, that's worth dancing for. He has given us exceeding, abundantly, above. He has blessed us. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, he could have forgiven Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, I forgive you. But he didn't just forgive him. He went and got him, brought him to his house, and, and restored everything that was lost because of sin. That's the picture of redemption. You didn't just get forgiven, you got redeemed. God doesn't know that he's not he's treating Mephibosheth like he's a king. He's not. Let's finish reading this. And he bowed himself and says, what is your servant that you would look on a dead dog like me? And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, I have given you your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So how many servants does Mephibosheth have now? 20. He's got servants. You ever read where that he has given his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways? And they are ministers for them that are the heirs of salvation. You got angels at your beck and call to go to work for you. Now he's not talking about Mephibosheth getting up and getting a better job. 
Well, that got quiet. Are you meaning to tell me that God is able to prosper me apart from my job? Duh. Yes. Oh, job. Oh, holy job. Won't you worship God? He can give you more than your job. Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. But he was lame in his feet. Did his lameness stop anything? Did his life stop? No. Yours is not either. So when it says, Christ hath redeemed me from the curse of the law, what does that mean? You're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You say, why don't I have it? Because you're not acting like a king. You're acting like a pauper. You're acting like you live in Lodabar. You got to get righteous conscious. The Holy Spirit wants to take righteousness and make it real to you. Jesus got his prayers answered, didn't he? I mean, he might even bring a rain over your house if you need water. The church today lives in sin consciousness. Well, if we could just get a million people to pray for me, call, call the prayer tower. And that was okay when you were a baby and you were a heathen, didn't know any better. But Abraham didn't call the ORU prayer tower, did he? Did Jesus call the ORU prayer tower? Did Paul call the ORU prayer tower? Then why are you calling the ORU prayer tower? Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, I think. 6, 1, 6. Say, I'm righteous. Now, see, until, until you've allowed your soul, your, you've got to get renewed in your mind. Doesn't do any good to hear a sermon and go, wasn't that wonderful today? That was really good. I love Pastor Sermon Day. And then you walk out of here and your brain turns into ice cream. It's not doing you any good. You're going to have to sit and think about this a little while. You got to get your mind renewed to this. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. All right, look at, look at Ephesians 1, 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he's made us accepted in the beloved. Say, I'm accepted. Say, I'm at the king's table. He actually likes me. All right, let's look at another one now. Hebrews chapter 1, 3. Just look at a few scriptures here. Talking about Jesus, who in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the power of his word, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So where is he right now? 
He's seated in the right hand of God. Why? He's sitting there because as long as there's a covenant between him and Father, there's a covenant between you and Father. He finished the work. He rose from the dead and sat down at the right hand of God because his work is finished and he's there as your personal representative before God. Why? To guarantee your righteousness. Who's guaranteeing it? Not you. As long as he's there, you're fine. Just pray he doesn't backslide. Do you think he will? I don't think he will. So when it says I'm the righteousness of God, you're not the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. So so Mephibosheth should have said, I'm the righteousness of David because of my father, Jonathan. I'm here because of my grandfather, Jonathan, my father, Jonathan created this and gave me a right to eat at David's table. All right. Now let's, let's look at another one. Hebrews 10, 14, and then we'll go look at something else. Hebrews 10. For by one offering, Jesus, he's perfected. Say me. Me. You believe that? Think about that a while. Forever, those who are being sanctified. Are you sanctified? No. Well, no, well in the flesh, you're not. And that, see, that's got you stumped. Because you're not totally sanctified, but yet you're perfect. See, some of y'all would never go, uh, I'm perfect. You know, there is a bumper sticker. I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven. That's completely backwards. It should say, I'm not just forgiven, I'm perfect. And what do you think that would do to the Christian community around us? It would mess them up. Because they don't hear sermons like this. They don't have a good pastor like me. Get a plug in every once in a while, Daryl. Get yourself a plug in. Let me ask you a question. Do you all need church? Poor God gave you a church. And a pastor. And didn't know you didn't need him. There are things you'll never get without going to church. Did you know that? It keeps you from being self-centered. He wants you with people. Not alone. You say, I have the Holy Ghost. You do. But the Holy Ghost is not going to tell you everything. There are some things he's going to tell me to tell you. And a pastor. Can we get a little deeper? He didn't give you an evangelist. Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. So at what point does the church become irrelevant? It never does. All evangelists need, need a church. Did you know that? And if you don't have one, you'll never do anything. Well, thank y'all for y'all's enthusiasm. Because there's a supply there for you. And there's a place for you to give your supply. And that keeps, that keeps you from being stagnant. Amen. Amen. So the Holy Ghost is good, isn't he? All right. All right. Now let's go, let's go to Luke 
chapter 15. Let's look at one more story. We just learned about, we just learned about Mephibosheth. But what about the New Testament? Is there anything in the New Testament along these same lines? Well, there is. Luke 15. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. So 15, 17. Let's start. Now think about this for a minute because here's a boy that went to his father and his father gave him his, his inheritance before his father died. He says, I want my money, you old man, and I want it now. I don't want to wait till you kick the bucket. I'm still young, and I want to go to town and have a party. And his dad gave him his inheritance. And he went in, and he blew all of the money. Because when you're a teenager, you still need your dad and your mom. Boy, I, I, you, some of you parents really missed it right there. You, Best place in the world to say, man. Do, do you know why God puts you in a home with parents? Because they're going to they're gonna train you to do right. And if they don't, the jail system will. Or your husband or wife will attempt to. Boy, we could change subjects right now real fast. <laughs> you parents who don't spank your kids, would you begin? If I'm in the store and see your child hitting you, I'm going to take you outside. Why do you think, when's the last time y'all got a ticket? Do y'all remember your last ticket? What happens when you drive down that road now? You remember. Oh, you slow down. You, boy, it's that, 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 that pain hit your soul, right? There's two or three places in town that I never speed. Maybe everywhere else I do, but I never do down that road. I can still see that cop. Ten years later, I can still see that motorcycle cop behind that tree. I didn't know that was a 25-mile-an-hour street. It was, I thought it was a 45-mile-an-hour street. But he helped me to understand with a $200 share revenue coupon that it was not. Now, I can tell you where that street is right now, and I've never sped down that street again. You know what happens to your brain when you do something wrong and your mama takes a paddle and smacks fire out of you? You remember what she said. Because been, she'd been saying it for a while, but you didn't get it. And then one day she said it and pow, hit you. And every time you're about to do it, you go, I remember that. <laughs> Never mind. That's another subject. Would y'all like to have a whole Sunday where we talk about how to really renew your mind? I'm not talking about spanking you either. Your mind doesn't get renewed because you read a book. Okay. All right. We'll move on. Luke. Where were we? Luke 17. 15, 17. When he came to himself, he, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and I'm perishing with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now listen to what he's saying. I know that I'm living in sin and I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church. I'm going to walk into church. Pastor Morgan's going to give an altar call and I'm going to get up and go up in the front and I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sins. I'm tired of the life that I'm living. I'm tired of the hell that I'm in. I'm tired of the poverty. I'm tired of the sickness and I'm tired of this. I am, I'm not worthy for anything, but if God would just forgive me of my sins and write my name in the book of life, I would be happy, happy, happy. So you come to church with a, with a sin consciousness that, that, that if you just ask God to forgive you, he's got a please forgive me mentality. Just like, just like all Christians do. But what happens when he's coming home though? Dad has something else in mind. I'm going to rise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. Verse 19, I'm no longer to be ready to call your son. If you'll just make me, I just want to eat. I just want a warm bed at night. If I could just get forgiven, then, then it, that, that, that's all I'm asking for. And I know I'm an old sinner saved by grace, and if you'd have just a little mercy on me and write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, I would be a happy Christian, and I'd be faithful to church. When's the last time you heard that kind of garbage? But from a sinner's point of view, that's the way sinners think. And they come into church that way. You came that way. But he arose and came to his father, and when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and mercy and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, forgive me of all of my sins. I've asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father paid no attention to that goofy prayer. And he said to the servants, you go get the best robe and you put it on him. You take a ring and put it on his hand. You put sandals on his feet and you bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. For my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and found and now he began to be married. He not only got forgiven, he did came home to be a servant. The father restored him back to sonship gave him authority over the house he walked out of, gave him everything that he had ever lost and made him back a son again instead of a servant, exceeding abundantly above anything he could have asked or thought. He didn't just get forgiven, he got redeemed. Why? Because God is a 
good God. When you came to church and said, I just want to get forgiven, what you did not know, you didn't just get forgiven. You were redeemed from the curse of the law. That means that all of the angels are at your beck and call. All of the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You've been restored back to the king's table. All, all authority in heaven and earth is given back to you and you're blessed coming in and blessed going out and you can eat at the king's table anytime you want to. Everything Adam lost has been restored back to you. Come on, guys. This is, is this good? My God, this is good. Listen, listen to me. Well, let's talk about money for a minute. Would you like to have a little more? Hold on a minute. Kenneth E. Hagen. There was a time in America people did not tithe. He said he had one woman in his church tithe. Most preachers had to have a secular job and pastor because people didn't tithe. You stood up in a pulpit and started preaching on tithing. They would look at you and go, well, you're just after our money. They didn't tithe. So, so, so Brother Hagin's out on the field. He's going from church to church. He gets to a church and they give him a dime. He's got to have gas. He's got a car blowing smoke. He's got four bald tires. Christmas is coming up. He didn't even have enough money to, to get home. He has no money. And he went to God and said, I'm obeying you. You said the willing and obedient lead the good in the land. He said, well, you're obeying, but you hadn't been willing. He said, I can fix that. And the Lord said to him, son, I have no money up here. Where did you want me to get it? He said, it's down there. Do you understand what it means when he says he's the king of kings? Who is he the king of? What's kings do? They reign. Who's got your money? Las Vegas. I want to spend the whole Sunday on. We need to spend some time on this subject. Does it really mean that you're blessed coming in, that you're a joint heir with Jesus? Does it really mean that? Absolutely. So Kenneth Hagin said to him, says, what do you want me to do? He said, why don't you use your faith for money like you do for healing? Now, listen, listen. He said, so I started going into churches and say, now see, this is not a lot of money now, but he said, I need $150 a week just, just, just to eat. And we're talking about churches that would take up a dime or maybe, maybe $18, $10, $15, give it to the preacher when he'd left. He says, I need $150 to live. So he'd go in there and say, I command it to come in Jesus' name. Amen. What's he doing? He's learning about righteousness. And he said the money would come. Now, he, now he, he, when he died, he was believing for millions, but you don't start with millions. You start with 150 bucks. And then he got to the place, now think about this for a minute, where he would have to, he, his ministry grew and he needed more money. And he'd go to churches and by this time, you know, they'd take up an offering of 100 bucks, but he needed like $500. And he'd go to church and say, I need $500. The pastor would go, oh, oh, we never we've never taken up an offering that big. He said, I didn't ask you to. Then he said something, listen to this. He said, I wanted to prove it before I preached this. He said, I on purpose went to churches 
that could not afford me. I knew they were small when I went. I knew they had no money. And I went anyway. Because if this works, it has to work everywhere. Am I right? Think about this for a minute. He's learning something about being righteous. If Jesus asked God for $150, would he get it? What about the church? What about the people in church? Does that matter? Well, that's not the issue. What was he preparing him for? To build Ramah. Because when you need a million, you need to know where it's coming from. So you call it in. You might need a rain on your orange trees. And you're too lazy to get the water hose up. Are y'all out there? Did you go home? You understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit is wanting to teach you righteousness. So how are you getting your prayers answered? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, guaranteeing your prayers. How many of them? All of them. So you don't, you don't have to call, call, are you? You can if you'd like. But I mean, God will answer. You're just as good as he would Kenneth or Joyce or anybody else. Are y'all okay with that? Yeah. Now, we're talking about righteousness consciousness. Now, you don't get this way just because you heard me preach a sermon. You don't get this way. You got to get your mind renewed to this. You got to get these scriptures out and start thinking about this. Because the devil is going to do everything in his power to steal this from you. Now, who do you think you are? You can't listen to your family. They don't know who you are. Let's get real for a minute. You remember the story of Jesus and his mother came? Jesus is embarrassing the family. And so his family came, Mary, James, your mother and your brothers are outside and they would like to have a talk to you about that church you're going to in Apopka. And he said, tell my mother and my brothers that those who hear the word of God and do it are my mother and brothers. He didn't even get up and go talk to them. Do you think your family knows who you are? No, they don't. They don't know you're righteous. They still treat you like, a, like, like one of the kids. Well, that's old Daryl. That's my brother Daryl. Burn Nancy at the stake. We know him. (laughs) You have no idea who I am. Where did I find out who I was? Let me ask you this. Where did Jesus find out who he was? In that when he was 12 years old, his parents missed him. Now, see, the men didn't travel with the women. Women traveled in one group. Men did not mess with women. This romantic stuff didn't happen until Hallmark. <laughs> they didn't even know that they were missing him until they got back to Galilee eight days later. 
And then they had to turn around and go all the way back to Jerusalem and find this boy. Where was he? Joseph, was he with you? No, I thought he was with you. Found him in the temple talking to the priest. And then he turned to Mary and said, I must be about my father's work. Where in the world did this boy learn this? From the Bible. He read a Bible. He found out who he was in the word of God. He didn't find out from Mary. She didn't even hardly know who he was. He didn't find out from Joseph. And he certainly didn't find out from the Pharisees. He didn't even find out in church because when he told them who he was, they kicked him out. I like something Andrew said. This will get you kicked out of most churches. And I got a Bible one day and I picked it up and I started reading it and I went, that's me. I'm a righteous man. I'm righteous as Jesus. I'm a new creation. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I don't have to drive a piece of junk. I can have what I say. I can talk to trees. I can talk to the rain. I can tell money to come. I can speak to sickness and disease. Get off of my body just like Jesus. Woo! Glory to God. Now don't ask your relatives who you are. They don't know. That's Daryl. That's old Daryl. We're telling him to tell you the story of the time he burned Nancy. And I think the, the maze came back and said, we even heard more stories. No doubt. They'll tell you all kind of stuff about the old man. I don't know if they know who the new one is. So I tell him I never burned Nancy at the stake. And they say, why, you did too? I said, I'm a new creature. Oh, we ain't talking about Bible. But I am. Oh, I am. I never burned nobody at the stake. Have you ever noticed that Saul, the apostle Paul, said, I've never wronged a man. I thought he was killing people when Jesus found him. What happened to all that killing people? It got buried under the blood of Jesus. He got redeemed from the curse. All of his past is gone. He ain't never done nothing wrong in the eyes of God. He said, I don't even judge myself. I don't sit around and judge myself according to whether I'm 65 and white. <laughs> judging you, I'm Puerto Rican. Who do I care whether you Puerto Rican or not? Are you out there as you go home? Quit getting your identity from your flesh. You've been, you're, the, you're a king. You're a king unto God. You're a priest unto God. You're the very righteousness of God. You're as he is, Jesus. So are you in the earth. So the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you this. We've got one more story I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you stories all day long. Y'all sit here and listen to them. I'll tell them. You know, right after I got born again, I prayed just like y'all do all day. Nothing happened. Nothing. Nothing. All day. Nothing. Two in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning. I finally got mad at God. God, you promised to heal my daughter. Hey, God. You know, Christians, they're not, they're not rooted in righteousness. They're rooted in, in sin consciousness. Hey, God. 
Stop what you're doing and come down from heaven and put your finger on my daughter's head. What do you think he's going to do? He ain't doing nothing. He's finished and sitting down. He ain't never going to do nothing about your sickness. Oh, thought he loved me. Finally, I found out that God don't answer prayers because you're mad at him. Because he ignored that too. And I finally repented and said, Father, please forgive me. I don't understand. And he said, son, I never promised to heal your daughter. I said, yes, you did. I couldn't find a scripture for it, but I said, yes, you did. And I'm thinking about the fact that I had just gotten healed. And he said, son, I finished my work and sat down. He said, if you want something done about it, do it yourself. Now, that's wild. That's wild. That's wild. You know, Andrew's got a book called, You've Already Got It. I didn't know he was that smart. That's the only reason I started listening to him, because when I read that book, I thought, he's smart as I am. You hang around God, he'll tell you this stuff. So I walked upstairs and opened up the door, and I told that stuff to die in Jesus' name. That's a devil. And I went to bed and woke up the next morning. Y'all know the story. Che was healed. How do you take that and tell me? How do you tell me I'm wrong? It's kind of hard to convince me I'm wrong when I'm getting my prayers answered. It's kind of hard to tell me I'm wrong when it rained on my property 30 minutes after I prayed last night. And the only green cloud in the whole sky was over my house. Real hard to look at me and go, well, I don't believe that. Are y'all out there? <laughs> I got another story. Norval Hayes. His daughter Zona had warts all over her body. A, a, a girl in high school is very conscious of her hands being covered in warts. Because it makes her ugly. Warts on her body, warts on her face, warts on her hands. And she would say, Daddy, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of my body's ugly. And he, being a godly man, went to God and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. You know what happened? Nothing. Finally, one day, the Lord said to Norval, listen to this. How long are you going to put up with a warts on Zona's body? And Norval said, Oh, that's what I'm trying to talk to you about. And he cursed them. And they dried up. I'm going to read this in John 16 again. I'm going to read it before I close. Are y'all, are y'all, are you getting, Jesus, Jesus said, when he, the Holy Ghost, has come, he's going to convict you of righteousness because I'm going to my Father. That's powerful. Once you get established in righteousness, you're no longer in the I'm begging God like a servant. You know who you are. Now, it'll make you cocky for a little while. It, it will. You'll walk around going, 
I'm something. Well, yeah, you are, but don't forget where it came from. You still need to worship God. Do y'all understand what I'm preaching? This is something, now next week we're going to get into this one, listen to this, of judgment because the ruler. We've got to get, we've got to learn Satan's defeated. You're dealing with a defeated foe. All you're supposed to be doing is enforcing his defeat. You're not supposed to be whipping him. You couldn't whip him if you wanted to. But you're going to enforce his defeat. And he's going to come at you. And you better understand righteousness when he comes. Because he's going to accuse you. And you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel unworthy. You're going to feel like you from low to bar and bith low. You're going to feel it. But you don't go by the way you feel. Do you all understand this? Everybody in this room, listen, listen to me very carefully. If, you, if, you'll, if you'll walk out of here today and, and, and you won't let your brain turn to ice cream. And you'll get your Bible out and you'll start studying righteousness and what Jesus did for you. If you'll do that, your life will change massively for the good. There's not a devil in hell that'll ever hold you down again the longest day you live. Now, you're already that now. But you may not be taking advantage of what's yours because you have a condemnation mindset. Loaded bar. Oh, sinner. That's not easy to get rid of. The first time you open your mouth and say, I'm righteous, your soul will go, oh, you didn't say better. And I say that, you ugly thing. You know better than that. And if you don't say it, your family will. They'll remind you what a sorry, good for nothing thing you are. Are you out there? This is so liberating. The, the, one of my biggest goals this year is to be so righteous conscious that I can do anything God asked me to do. We've got to get to the place where we're praying stuff that's impossible. We've got to get to the place in this church to where people in wheelchairs are getting out. You hear me? We're going to get ourselves to a place where there's not going to be deaf people in this place. There's not going to be sick people in this place. And if you bring an in-law or an outlaw from the outside, we're going to get them free and we'll ship them back out. But we're not going to do it until we get, we get here. We got to get here first. And quit relying on someone else to do your praying for you. If you're not praying like you should, it's because you're, you're sin conscious. You're avoiding God. Can I ask you a question? Is this helpful? Say, I am the righteousness of Almighty God. As Jesus is, so am I in the earth. I have authority over all the work of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm me. The prayers of a righteous man, that's me. Get answered. God answers 
all of my prayers because of what Jesus did. Learn to talk to yourself like this. When you look at a problem at work, you go, I mean, speak to it. There is no weapon formed against me. There's nothing coming against me. You will not rise up against me. You're blessed. You look at your business and say, I call you blessed. You look at your children and you say, I call you blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You're not going to hell on my watch in the name of Jesus. I mean, you start living like this, you're going to feel a little weird. You're going to start talking to something other than traffic lights and Yankees. That's supposed to be funny. What a way to live your life. Isn't this awesome? The funnest thing in the world is when you start praying money in and it's coming without it coming through your job. And you're going, whoa, my God, that worked. I mean, start with little stuff. I did. I started praying. I find money everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, I find money. Then I start saying I have boys, boys, and more boys. Isn't this good? Father God, as we walk out of the church today, I, th- I thank you for this church. I pray as a, as a group of people, we'd become conscious of what you did at Calvary. Holy Spirit, make this real to us. That's your job. You said you'd lead us and teach us and lead us in righteousness. And Father, there's people came in here today with needs. I pray that, that, every, that because of Jesus, every need will be met. People's bodies can be healed today. They can walk out whole and healthy. And whatever they came with, they can leave it here and you'll turn it around because we have access in the throne. And I give you thanks for every person in this room. Surround them with faith and love and thank you that their best days are ahead of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.